This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission. Something. A podcast, maybe? Episode number. Something. Conundrum. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm um, sitting behind a mic and in front of a computer and inexplicably seem to know what I'm doing. And me too. Um, So according to some notes that I found each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, which I guess is a thing that people watch. And we take it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and figuring out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Yeah. Uh, My notes say that this week uh, we're hitting the episode Conundrum. How are we going to do this without knowing who we are? It's a pickle. Oh, oh, wait, I have an idea. Uh, Let's just say that our memories have been restored. (laughs) You think that'll work, really? Yeah, it's worth a shot. Hey, um, podcaster log supplemental. Our memories have been restored and, oh, <laughs> wow, okay, cool. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Glad we got that sorted. It was um, getting a little Rosencrantz and Guildenstern up in here for a minute. Yeah, which one were you? Doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, you know what does matter, though? A uh, special message from the special people who stand behind this show. Then don't look, Ooh. don't look behind you. No, it's okay, dude. No. <laughs> I was, it was, it was metaphorically standing behind this show. Okay, talking about the uh, the good people at Eagle Moss and uh, their website st starships dot com slash mission log. Yeah, the amazing thing about what they do, I, this is sort of the the perfect combination. Um, we obviously are a show about Star Trek, in case you haven't heard, and and I cannot think of a cooler product to be able to tell our listeners about. Uh, you've heard us talk about it before these last several weeks, and uh, Ken and I are, are true believers in this, that the Star Trek Starships collection is one of the coolest things that you can have if you are a Star Trek fan. And what it is, it's very simple they make amazing cool little models about what three to four inches long depending on the ship Mm -hmm. and you get two of them every month you subscribe just like you would subscribe to a magazine and guess what you get a magazine. You get a magazine. Exactly. You do get a magazine. <laughs> but but that's not even the coolest part. The coolest part is you get the ship. You get the model of the ship to go along with the magazine. See, you say the coolest part. I was going to say one of the coolest things to me about this whole thing is the fact that you don't just get one thing. I mean, you do get the ship. And the ship is something that if you saw it on a shelf someplace in a store, you'd probably look at it and you'd, you, you, there's a very good chance you'd buy it because they're incredibly detailed. They're, they're incredibly accurate. They're just nifty. Um, but you know, it's not like buying a, a, a three foot long ship to like hang from your ceiling or something. But I mean, you're not just getting the thing, you're also getting the information. So you get that magazine and you get the digital download of the magazine as well. So you've got access to 
information about the ship, but it's not just like the end universe stuff, which is awesome, but it's also, you know, uh, stuff about the design. You even get, you know, sort of like working drawings of, of designs that they had looked at before they, you know, settled on the final design. And then what's really cool about the digital download is if there's further information that wouldn't fit into the magazine or, you know, just further information that they can reference, uh, you just click on a link and you've got access to even more information that, okay, it's online. You might be able to find it yourself, but here it all is in one place and you can sort of grow out from there. And as John mentioned, happens twice a month. So $20 a pop, you get the magazine, you get the digital magazine and you get the ship uh, $20 each time and you just, you know, set it and forget it. And every couple of weeks or so, a new ship uh, docks at your port. (laughs) So Ken and I could talk about this all day long. In fact, many people have accused us of doing that. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to. We're not going (laughs) to. But the most important thing for you to know is that our words don't do the model justice. You need to see it on your own. So for $4.95, $4.95, you can start your collection with the Enterprise D, 1701D, delivered right to your door. And there's no obligation. You get to keep that little model if you don't want anything else. But I doubt that you would want to stop there because, as Ken mentioned, two of them every month. And that's not even including the bonus issues, the bonus products that you'll get the longer you stay with the collection. So you can get all of that started very easily at st-starships.com slash mission log. That is st-starships.com slash mission log. Uh, of course, the address gets you uh, to the products, and then the slash mission log lets them know that just like them, you're standing behind mission log. And again, John, don't freak out. <laughs> They're not literally <laughs> standing behind you. Oh, Okay, maybe God, take oh. one look just in case. Okay. And uh, while you do that, I will remind people, st-starships.com slash mission log. And we do thank the good people at Eagle Mouse for uh, figuratively <laughs> standing behind this show. <laughs> Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you have comments that you would like to send our way, we would certainly love to hear from you. If you want to call us, we would definitely love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and other fun stuff, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You going to do that trivia thing, sir? Did you remember the whole trivia thing? Because I know it's been one of those weeks. Ooh, yeah. Okay, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll make it up. Okay. And people can correct me later. Excellent. Okay. That sounds like, uh, like a normal week. Yeah, okay. So today's episode was written by Paul Schiffer. Now, Paul has just a handful of professional credits to his name, uh, among them St. Elsewhere, Simon and Simon. And then after this one episode of Star Trek, he wrote three episodes of Murder, She Wrote. And uh, that about does it for Paul Schiffer. In fairness, he was busy playing piano for David Letterman. Oh, no, see, that's, uh, that. yeah. It sounds very much the same, kind of like last week, John Snyder is not John Schneider, and James Kahn <laughs> is not James Kahn. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this is Paul Schiffer, not Paul Schaefer. Oh, so close. So bad. close. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, now, the uh, teleplay is by Barry Skolnick, and this is one of the earlier scripts credited to Skolnick. He later worked on Law & Order, and as a writer and producer for The Division, The Dresden Files, Legend of the Seeker, with... Star Trek alumni Ken Biller and Mike Sussman. But 
Joe Minoski actually got the script into shape for filming. He's not credited here, uh, but this really was kind of his baby getting it past story and initial script phase into what we see on screen. Now, this was another one of those stories where the concept had been kicked around for a long time before the right angle could be found to flesh it out into a full episode. In one original draft, the idea was to have people drafted as soldiers with their memories erased. And uh, remember that idea, because that concept might come back in a future incarnation of Star Trek. And today's episode conundrum was directed by Les Landau, a name very familiar to Star Trek The Next Generation by now. Uh, this was a winner uh, of an Emmy Award for Special Visual Effects. It was actually a tie with A Matter of Time that we talked about just a few weeks ago. Hey, and uh, remember the Ito from Justice, uh, those oiled up superhumans who uh, <laughs> spend a lot of their days jogging planet of the jogger yeah 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 well their god is the same model used here for the lycian space station hmm. so just a reuse of that prop kind of cool and let's see more props we get to welcome back the 3d chess board oh but a Cool little note about those chess pieces. So obviously we know that uh, the people who worked on Star Trek and the design department were fans of all kinds of science fiction and anime, and they would work in little visual jokes very often. Well, go back to that chess scene freeze frame. One of the first pieces you really get a good look at looks like the robot from Lost in Space. And then two of the other pieces look like they are topped with a little crown that very much resembles the Jupiter 2 from Lost in Space. So, a little bit of fun there. Um, we have lots of details in the crew manifest files that you can read if you pause the high-def version. Uh, let's see, Picard is from Labar, France, as we know. He graduated the Academy in 2327. Um, we have mention of his negotiating the Klingon succession. And yes, by the way, if you are doing the math, this does make Picard considerably older than Patrick Stewart. Uh, let's see, Karen McDuff was born in 2334, according to his fake bio, and served on the USS Orion. Data studied probability mechanics and had one offspring, Lol, of course. Uh, Beverly Crusher was born on the moon in Copernicus City, and uh, her mom and dad are Paul and Isabel Howard. Um, let's see, another neat little detail, Riker's graduation diploma from the Academy if you freeze frame there, it was signed by Gene Roddenberry. Well, at least uh, a, a version of his signature is, uh, is on that plaque. And there's another signature that looks an awful lot to me like Patrick Stewart. So I might be wrong about that one, but it, it's very, very close. And let's see, Michael Westmore, of course, did the makeup effects for the Sitaran body hiding inside Macduff. He says it was enormously expensive and time-consuming and shot frame by frame to add into the footage. Now, guest stars. Uh, of course, she's not really a guest star anymore. She's uh, a recurring character, but this is the third appearance of Ensign Rowe, and it's actually the fourth time back on Star Trek for Michelle Forbes. And this week we have Liz Vassy. She plays Kristen, the young woman in sickbay. Right after this episode of Next Generation, she took a recurring role on All My Children, then made guest appearances on shows like Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Married with Children, Murphy Brown, Quantum Leap, and much, much more. She was Captain Liberty 
in the short-lived live-action version of The Tick from 2001, and recently she's been producing and starring in Nikki and Nora, The NN Files, which was an unaired TV pilot turned into a web series. And the new guy is Kieran McDuff, uh, played by Eric Anderson. This is Eric's only Star Trek appearance, but he's got a pretty long list of acting credits to his name. Starting out with TV guest appearances that led to a recurring role on 30-something. After Star Trek, he appears on Melrose Place, 7th Heaven, Chicago Hope, ER, The Outer Limits. More recurring roles on Felicity and NYPD Blue. Prior to Star Trek, though, one of his biggest credits is as Rob, one of the leads in 1984's Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter. It is a favorite doll game with a new twist. The crew of the Enterprise D answers the question, who is your captain? Prologue. The Enterprise is checking out something weird in the area of space it's in. What is it and why? <laughs> it doesn't matter. In 10 forward, Counselor Troy is schooling data in a game of 3D chess. Yes, Troy is beating the walking, talking computer by doing something totally unexpected. With her win a foregone conclusion, Troy explains that chess isn't just a game of ploys and gambits, it's a game of intuition. Now, per their wager, Data has to make Troy a Sumerian sunset. It's a drink. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher is helping someone get well. It's what doctors do. In a corridor, Riker is reading Ensign Rowe the Riot Act. It's what Riker does. She's found a new way to do an old thing, some standard assessment on the Enterprise. She says her way is better, but that's not the point. Riker says she should have asked about the new procedure. Sure, he might have said no, but he might have said yes. She says he's trying to turn her into a model Starfleet officer. He says the rules on the Enterprise don't just change because she wants them to, and you have to ask, why don't they just kiss already? With that, the two arrive on the bridge, where the Enterprise has encountered a small ship. So small that Picard's not going to bother raising shields. Let's be friendly. Then the ship starts to scan them. Okay, shields up, I guess. But it's too late for that. The scan has become invasive, and before anyone can say, say my name, no one on the bridge can say their own name. They don't know who they are, they don't know where they are, and they don't know why they're there. No one. Not Picard, not Riker, not even the new guy standing next to Picard and Riker. Act 1. The new guy is as perplexed as anyone. Who are we? What are we doing here? People seem to be finding their roles pretty quickly, if not their positions and identities. Ensign Rowe could pilot this tub if the controls were working. Worf says tactical isn't working, leading Picard to figure that they all still know how to do what they do. They just don't know who they are or what they're doing. You know, says Riker, thinking like that. Plus, all those dots on your collar make me think you're a leader. But Worf points out that he's got this big fancy sash on. Maybe he's the leader. Picard says, look, we can figure out who's leader later. Right now, we need to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And says the new guy, what happened to us? Or says Jordy, who did this to us? Because yeah, it doesn't look like this is something that happened to them as much as something that was done to them. Jordy has also found what appears to be the remains of a small ship. Okay, maybe here's what happened. Maybe that small ship hit them with some sort of pulse that wiped their memories. And maybe before or during the exchange, their big ship destroyed the small ship. That's got Picard wondering if the rest of their big ship has been damaged. The computer's not working, so they can't get a status report. But Geordi is able to get shipboard comms working. The bridge crew is talking over how best to proceed, but that gets old quickly for Worf. 
He sends out an all call for each department to send a report to the bridge. Everyone else, keep calm and carry on. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher is finding out what everyone else has found out. She doesn't know who she is, but she knows how to do what she does. Back on the bridge, new guy is talking to Worf, who's sitting in the command chair. After looking over the ship's armaments, they figure this is a battleship. Roe and Riker are looking over the entire layout of the ship. Roe wants to start walking the ship right now, though Riker says, Hey, slow down. We need a plan. She says she doesn't like feeling so out of control, though he says, To get out of this, we'll have to work together. Now let's go walk the ship. Jordy tags along. He wants to get a look at the computer core. Looking it over, it seems like everything should be working. They just need control. Jordy will get to work on that, as well as finding personnel files. In the captain's ready room, Worf has made himself right at home. He's making plans. This ship has to be battle-ready. Picard suggests that maybe the first priority should be accessing ship's logs, finding out who they are and why they're there. The Worf says no. They have to be ready to defend themselves. Or fight. Geordi pipes in. He's regained control of weapons, propulsion, and navigation. He'll have those controls routed to the bridge soon. Now we are ready, says Worf, leaving Picard to ask the question, Ready for what? Act 2. New guy and Worf are checking out weapons, and boy do they work. Picard says they should run a full systems diagnostic. If they're going to trust their lives to these systems, they should make sure they're not broken. New guy agrees, and Worf relents. Do it up. Dr. Crusher says their memories should still be in their heads. They're just being blocked. A look at crew medical records would be great, but Worf says, That's not possible right now because someone insisted on a full diagnostic. <clears throat> medical records will be next priority. Roe and Riker are working on their ship survey and flirting. Well, Roe's aggressively flirting with Riker, and Riker seems really receptive. And you have to ask, why don't they just kiss already? Last stop on the survey is 10 Ford, where they meet Data, your bartender, and Troy, who seems to remember Riker. Mm, sort of. There's a familiarity. Also, she can sort of read people's emotional states, something no one else here seems able to do. Their discussion is interrupted by a call from the bridge. They've got access to personnel records now, so come on back and find out who the heck you are. And soon we know. Picard is captain and commanding officer. New guy, Kieran McDuff, is XO. Somebody should kiss him before they turn the lights out. Okay, maybe not. XO in this case means executive officer. He's number one! Riker is second officer. Data, your bartender, is actually operations officer. Crusher is chief medical officer. Troy is ship's counselor. LaForge is chief engineer. Rolaren is helm officer. And Worf is security chief. Not commanding officer. Awkward. Picard orders McDuff to have the other chiefs report to the bridge. LaForge, see what you can find out about our mission. And Worf, nah, Worf is apologizing for having basically assumed command. Picard says everybody is doing the best they can. Think nothing more of it. After a bit of digging, here's what we've learned. The ship is called the Enterprise. It's part of the United Federation of Planets. The Federation is currently at war with the Lycian Alliance, a genocidal race determined to destroy the Federation. The war's been raging for years, and the Lycians have a new weapon. It screws up computer systems and affects the mental functions of a ship's crew. Sound familiar? In the past couple of months, 14 Federation ships have been captured and their crews imprisoned on Lycia with barely a fight. Geordi has uncovered their current mission. They're supposed to go to the Lycian Central Command and destroy it. This makes Troy uncomfortable. 
their computer is damaged. How do they know the information they have is the most current information or even correct? She says they should get confirmation of the mission from the Federation, though mission orders demand radio silence. See, this is part of a coordinated attack, though it all hinges on the Enterprise playing its part perfectly. Picard says they'll head toward the Lysian Central Command. Act 3. Troy and Riker chat for a bit in her quarters. She says everything seems wrong, especially this war they're fighting. Riker figures war always feels wrong. Troy's getting that air of familiarity off Riker again. It's sweet. Gentle. It seems obvious that the two have deep, real feelings for each other. They say a chaste goodnight, and Riker finds his way to his quarters, where he finds Ro Laren. And she's... good to go. Um, grown-ups, you know what's happening here. Kids, let's assume they're playing a game, maybe, or watching a movie. Anyway, they're not sleeping. They're together. Not sleeping. Next day, and everyone's on the bridge. The Enterprise is crossed into Lysian space, and it's greeted right away by a Lysian destroyer. It tries to communicate with the Enterprise, though Macduff is ready to fire weapons. He argues against accepting the hail. That could be how their mystery weapon works. Troy says they should respond to the hail. Picard's still considering it, but it's too late. Apparently, reading the silence is an act of aggression. The underpowered Lysian destroyer powers up its underpowered weapons and is squished like a bug by the Enterprise. Act 4. Well, great. Now Lysian Central Command will know the Enterprise is on its way. Rose suggests bobbing and weaving their way there to avoid detection. Crusher thinks she's found a way to get their memories back, though it's dangerous without access to the medical records. Data and Geordi work on retrieving those, but it's no good. They're damaged. Riker's in his quarters getting to know Riker. I mean, going through his things. When Troy stops by. She is really uptight about this war and their mission, though Riker writes that off as general uneasiness about such things. They have to complete their mission. Meanwhile, Riker is trying to figure out who he is, and he gives Troy a tour of... his stuff, apparently. He's a trombone player. He's athletic. He's from some place called Alaska. He vacations on some place called Risa. And check this out. A book given to Riker by Troy, with the inscription, All My Love. And there's that old familiar feeling again. The two are about to kiss when, oh, hello, it's Ro Laren. She asks if she's interrupting anything. They both lie and say no. Troy leaves, and Ro and Riker go back to watching a movie. Later, on the bridge, Geordi has an uneasy feeling of his own. The files they can't access are really specific. It doesn't look like damage. It looks like those specific files have been made inaccessible. Without the medical records, Crusher says running the memory retrieval process would be really risky... McDuff seems to have a bit of Kirk in him, though. Risk is their business. He'll volunteer for the procedure. Doesn't go well. Not only are his memories not freed, McDuff is nearly killed in the process. But he'll be okay. Later, McDuff and Picard are talking over their mission. Picard isn't sure it's right. They way overpower the Lysians, and they can't even verify their orders. Yeah, says McDuff, but we can't ignore them either. Yeah, says Picard, but seriously, so much information is not available to us, and did I mention how much stronger we are than the Lysians? I feel like I've been handed a weapon, sent into a room, and told to shoot a stranger. I need moral context, says Picard. Macduff says that would be nice, but is Picard willing to prolong the war to allow thousands more deaths on both sides on the basis of his moral discomfort? 
In case the answer is yes, Macduff is working on a contingency. Hey, Worf, you're a warrior. I'm a warrior. Picard might not be a warrior. We may need to relieve him of duty soon, so be ready. Act 5. The Enterprise is close to Elysian Central Command. A few unmanned sentry pods head out to defend Central Command. They're like tissue against the Enterprise weapons. Riker deems that too easy, and Picard seems to agree. An analysis of Central Command's defenses show almost no defenses. One photon torpedo would likely destroy the structure and kill the 15,000 people on board. McDuff berates the captain. They must complete their mission. Though Picard says no, he does not fire on defenseless people. Picard orders Worf to open a channel to the Lysians, though McDuff tells Worf to belay that order. The captain is unfit for duty, and McDuff is taking control of this ship. He orders Worf to fire all weapons, though Worf resists. And Worf is knocked across the bridge by McDuff, who it turns out is not human, but a creepy-looking alien in human disguise. We see that when Riker and Picard fire phasers at McDuff, disabling him and keeping him from firing on the Lysians himself. Captain's Log Supplemental, turns out McDuff was a Ceteran, an alien race that has actually been at war with the Lysians, unlike the Federation. No, and Picard has apologized for wiping out most of the Lysian defenses. They seem to understand. In 10 forward, Riker finds... Oh... Troy and Rolaren sitting together. This is awkward. Except it's not. Rose says for her, it'll just be a special time she and Riker shared. She might be making fun of Riker. She leaves and Riker confesses to being confused. And Troy suggests, if he's still confused tomorrow, stop by during office hours. And she leaves rather coldly. So it is awkward. The end. Ah, the Sateran. Yeah, yeah. I liked him better when he was with Chicago than than on his own. Will you still love him for the rest of the episode? That really is the question. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Picard's like, hey, listen, sorry about, you know, uh, killing uh, that ship with, with mm-hmm. the crew on it. And, and did he apologize for, you know, ruining their defenses? Because all those unmanned defense things came out, right? He did, yeah. They're, they're still at war with the Satarans, right? Right. And the Enterprise just wiped out all their defenses? Mm-hmm. So we're good? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little that's a little touchy. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it seems like it might be. Might have a bit of an obligation there. This might turn into a whole other private little war. A, a private little war, I was going to say. Maybe so. Maybe mm. so. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. How likely is it really that Deanna could beat Data at chess? Uh, look, I get the metaphor. I get why we open with that scene. But mm-hmm. come on. We, we have computers now that regularly beat people, good people at chess and Jeopardy and all kinds of other games. Well, here's the thing. Just because we've never seen her play chess, we don't actually know how good she is at it. I know I talk a lot about the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mention it on this show a lot. Um, mm-hmm. The character that Lawrence Fishburne plays in that movie, uh, schools a chess master in one of the speed chess games in the park. Mm-hmm. He uh, he tells the chess master uh, that the master's playing the board, and what he needs to play is what he needs to do is play the man who's playing the board. Mm-hmm. And and that's actually what Deanna's doing. I mean, really though, I mean, we know as you say, we know why they're doing what they're doing. It's because yeah, th- this might actually end up being a message that runs throughout the episode. No, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe we'll so. have to we'll have to talk about the episode and find out. 
Uh, it's funny, before I watched the episode with the subtitles on, mm-hmm. I thought that uh, Deanna asked Data to make her a Sumerian sunset. And I was like, wow, cocktails from, you know, 5,000 years ago. That's <laughs> really be, cool. I'm going to guess they would all be better. They would. They I just have a be. feeling they would all just be terribly bitter. Like, like, like each one would like be made with Frenet and Jaeger, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, some kind yeah. of bitters that that really just stay bitter. Mm-hmm. I thought it was actually kind of funny. Everybody started doing the things they knew how to do after the scan, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why Data didn't just start doing everything. Yeah, like, right. Like everything, because right. he knows how to do everything. And so, you know, for him to say, oh, I, sh- I should get back to duty, yeah. I mean, he should seriously be all over the ship. Unless just because he was behind the bar, he's like, oh, well, there must be a bartender. In which case, why wasn't everybody in 10 forward drunk by the time they got there? <laughs> I mean, you know, just just testing his ability to make sure that he actually is just a drink maker. Sure. You know, like, sure, hey, yeah. give me one of them Sumerian sunrises there and uh, how about a Singapore <laughs> sling? And you call this a Manhattan? Are you sure you're actually a bartender? No, no, no. You better give me another one and make it sweet this time, would you? That's good. A couple of extra cherries, too. Yeah. That's it would have been good. a fun. That, w- that could be like a whole episode of Star Trek right there. Well, but you know what? Okay, let's put a pin in that because now, <laughs> as we as we often do on this show, and say, "Ooh, wait, there's an idea we can come back to later." That mm-hmm. is an interesting thing about Data and why everybody else sort of slipped back into their roles, mm-hmm. but Data just sort of is wherever he is at that moment. Well, I was trying to you know? I was trying to remember. I guess everybody slipped back into their roles based on where they were standing, right? I mean, Roe Laren was sitting at the helm when she decided, I must know how to drive this thing, and so she did. Worf mm-hmm. was standing mm-hmm. at tactical when he decided, okay, I must be a tactical dude. Picard's just kind of walking around, and so's Riker, and so's um, McDuff. Now, of mm-hmm. course, McDuff we have to take out of this whole thing. Right. Because right. He's, he's a liar. Right. <laughs> but, right. but Picard and Riker are like, what do we do? I, well, something kind of commandy, I'm guessing. Yeah. Or maybe just like walk around. Maybe we're troubleshooters. Maybe we're floaters. <laughs> it's like wherever you need somebody, we'll be right there. And so when Data, you know, wakes up behind the bar, wakes up for all intents and purposes behind the bar, mm-hmm. which means I guess Troy could think, I, I guess I'm a bar fly. Right. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, one thing that hasn't changed, Riker still has that Horagon. Yeah. Proudly you know, displayed. Does- Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just right out there. Because <laughs> here's yeah. the thing. If you get to Riker's quarters, yeah, you, you mm. need to know he's up for it. Just, yeah. <laughs> he's, not gonna, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to force himself. It's, he's, he's up for it, though. It's on display. Yep. You know, whatever you want to do. You want to play games? Huh? You want to watch a movie? <laughs> huh? I'm up for it. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, another question that we got, a little thing pointed out by our listeners, who said, if you fire a ship's phaser into space, does it just keep going until it hits something? I actually wondered about that, too. Yeah. You know, like three years from now, it's like Captain's Log. Wow. So remember that time? Yeah. We just got a nasty gram back from some (laughs) planet we've never even heard of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of excited to meet them, though, and they seem really happy to meet us. Oh, man. Here's what I was thinking. I was mad. I want to go back to 10 forward for a second. Mm-hmm. I wish I had been the person that Troy, you know, said the first thing to about being able to read emotions. Cause she mm-hmm. says to Riker when he gets mm-hmm. there, I seem to have an ability that nobody else has. I can read emotions. Mm-hmm. And so you got to figure she's actually said to somebody, by the way, I can read emotions. Can you, right? Because otherwise <laughs> she's not going to be able to read off of them, whether or not they can read emotions. And I was just thinking, I mean, maybe I would be like, you know, so befuddled by the whole not knowing who I am, but I would love to think that if she came up to me and said, oh, by the way, I can read emotions. Can you? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. I can totally do that. See that guy over there? He's confused. 
And see that woman over there? <laughs> She's confused right now. So, yeah, it's not just you. We, I, I can also, yes, I am also special. <laughs> That's good. Yes. I would love that. It would be fun. By the way, it was kind of funny. We're going through the crew manifest to save Worf's name almost for the very end. I think Roe <laughs> came right after him. Yes, but yes, he's, he did. Yeah, he, he's below Deanna. He's below Beverly. He's below Jordy. You know, so when you sit there and you think about, okay, all these people who are on the bridge. Oh, no, no, no. no the, the medical officer outranks you. And oh, oh, ship's counselor outranks you. We're just going to pretend like these are definitely in rank order here. Well, hold on a second, though, because uh, let's think about this. Yep. We do know that Beverly can relieve anybody of duty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. On medical condition. And who knows? It is possible that, I mean, it's possible that Troy can as well. Mm-hmm. Dude, you are seriously nuts right now. I'm afraid if you go back to work, you're just going to start firing at the first thing we come across. I have to, I have to relieve you of duty. Right. It's right. possible, actually. Yeah. I mean, it, it is also true. a blow to the gut. Like, yeah, you think you're so important. You thought you were a captain a minute ago. Yeah, no, here are six other people before you and then one other person. But it's just fun to see Worf grovel because he does have to grovel. It was pretty great. Oh, I don't know. It it, it struck. Actually, I thought it was really it was a really great moment. It's not a huge scene. And I'm glad it didn't Mm. go on for long because Picard is definitely getting under Worf's skin the whole time. Oh, yeah. Up until that moment. But, I mean, he is very much Worf. The second he finds out, I don't think that it's really groveling. I mean, he he acts honorably and says, yeah, listen, that was really, that was so wrong, and I am so sorry. And Picard is is totally Picard. He's like, dude, you did what you thought was right. Now we know, so let's not even talk about it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It was was a moment. Um, And, you know, it's interesting that... uh, too bad there aren't more of data on board. Jordy kind of wonders what we've wondered, what what we've talked about from time to time. Mm-hmm. Where are all the androids in the 24th century? Yeah. You know, they're, they're making an interesting case for the idea that, okay, data might be unique on board, but do we have any other kind of robots that do anything? Um, good thing it wasn't Lore who happened to be on board at the time, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. But but you you do um, you do have to wonder like why aren't there more of him? But it, it is interesting to hear them talk about it because it kind of gets into territory of answering that question that a lot of people should be asking since the introduction of data by that time. Also thought you know too bad you don't have a Guinan in this episode. Don't know where she was during any of this. You. You kind of need her, but it's like they gave her lines to Deanna, but still you could kind of have Guinan there to say, well, essentially, I can't explain it, but everything just feels wrong, sort of like she's mm-hmm. done before. You know? uh, yeah, the problem is she's done that before, though. I mean, because mm-hmm. yeah. if she, I mean, basically what you're talking about is yesterday's Enterprise, right? Yep, yep. The one where they're, you know, there and then the Enterprise C comes through like some sort of anomaly and all of a sudden they're, you know, in a different timeline and Tasha Yar's back. Right. Enough. <laughs> right. And, and, and Guinan's walking around going, yeah, no, this isn't right. I don't know why. I don't know how, but this isn't right. And if she did that again, like in such, in the same kind of terms, I think then it would just be like, I think you and I would have spent this whole episode going, yeah, I liked it better when it was called Yesterday's Enterprise. <laughs> right. Well, I, I guess the thing that's different about Guinan, you know, Guinan would and could bend the captain's ear. Of course, nobody mm-hmm. knows that he is the captain until a little bit later. But um, she's one who can say to him, and he will believe her if she just says, this isn't right, this is not a ship of war. Mm-hmm. Whereas Deanna's like, 
you know, this feels really weird. Um, I'm really not going to say too much about it, except I will question the orders at a certain point, but that'll be about it. Yeah, no, it's 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 too magic wand. I mean, especially especially is, because yeah. it's the exact same thing again. If it yeah. had been Guinan, I I honestly think. I mean, here's here's how much that would have bothered me. I'm getting mm-hmm. mad right now at the possibility. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. In an alternate timeline, yeah. that's the show they wrote, and I'm sitting here going, "Dude, why did we even watch this? We could have just watched, you know, we could have watched right. Shooter McGavin again. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the big big question." Mm-hmm. That that so many people asked was uh, where did Riker's phaser come from at the end of the episode when he turns around and he shoots McDuff and says he's sitting there he's hanging out and then just out of nowhere he's got a phaser now Worf I believe because Worf is always ready to shoot something but uh, <laughs> but Riker's sitting front and center and he's got the big version of the phaser he doesn't have the little you know, you know the phaser type one hmm. wait he's got the bigger one. Wait, so it was it was Riker and Worf that were shooting him? Yeah, Riker. I am totally, I am totally putting that in with conspiracy. I was picturing Picard and Riker shooting him. And oh, I, no, dude, no. I have watched this episode three times this week. <laughs> one of them just a couple of hours ago, and still in my head, it's Riker and Picard shooting him. Oh, really? That is so very strange. Yeah. Anyway, what is? I don't know. Maybe he has a little compartment in his chair. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. He's got to have that. something like that. But I, yeah. I have a, I have another technology question. Mm-hmm. Can we have whatever it is McGuff, McDuff, excuse me, McDuff was wearing the whole time? Riker's mm. like, oh, he wiped our brains and he hacked our computers. And yeah, okay, all that stuff is pretty hip. But he, he walked around right next to them looking like a completely different being, right? Yeah. Which I got to say is even better than like a like a like an invisibility cloak or a personal cloaking device or something because oh, yeah. you can look like who or whatever you want. You can hide in plain sight. You can be some other person. Uh, speaking of which, um, McDuff, you know, for all of his criminal mastermindery is kind of an idiot because why not mm-hmm. just kill Picard and then make yourself look like him? Mm. When you get there, and then just there you go. I guess you probably have to do like a laryngitis thing like I can't really talk. That's why I sound weird. <laughs> But let's kill everybody. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't work completely, but I don't understand why he didn't look like somebody they actually knew and trusted as opposed to, you know, inserting himself into a situation that wasn't going to work exactly. And it's even worse than that, because think about it. The guy gets put into one of Dr. Crusher's brain scanner devices, and he totally passes. He totally (laughs) passes as a human. So whatever technology he's got is really good. Well, okay, that's interesting, actually. Did she scan his brain, or did she just assume, well, I know him, and he's human, and I'm trying to do this thing, so I'm just going to go ahead and turn it on? Well, like, you she, would did imagine... Did she run another test? Because, yeah, you would think as soon as she does that, then... Yeah. Wow, you're right. We're only yeah. assuming that she ran the test, but yes, if she ran the test and he passed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I don't, I don't know that any character we see in the Star Trek universe from now on is anybody that we think they are. Ooh. I know. Mind? Wow. Blown. <laughs> hey, as you pointed out in the opening, um, this well, just a great ending for this. And Doctor Crusher restored our memories. <laughs> she is yes. good, Captain Slog. We're all fine now. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. And and all the computers, which apparently uh, I don't know if the files had just been damaged. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess if I were McDuff, I, I would have absolutely deleted all of that stuff forever and ever. <laughs> but I guess he just kind of hid it. 
And then do they have to go back and reread all those? You know, Riker has to reread all this stuff about, oh, I'm from Alaska. Oh, I didn't get along with my dad, according to all these personal logs that I took. Ah. Well, no, it's okay, because his memories are restored, so he knows that. He just has to go back and rewrite all of his personal logs. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's yeah, the worst. Yeah. Um, man, at the very end of the show, I thought it was turning into friends. I thought Riker was going to have to plead, but we were on a break. Cardassians versus Bajorans. Saterans versus Lessians. How many wars go on at the edges of Federation space? Yangs versus Combs. The private little war. In a private little war. There is a question that is kind of front and center. It's not even really a big discussion point, mm-hmm. but it, it just is so obvious. And I, I already know what the answer is. <laughs> But the question is, how in the world could a being with technology that can wipe out memories, take over computer systems, etc., not have the weapons or the wherewithal to take out their own enemy? And the answer, of course, is the answer that we have discussed many times on this show. Mm-hmm. That's how the writers wrote it to be. Right. So that 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 is the answer right there. But seriously, I, on the other hand, there is a huge leap in technology that nobody else has. And they are so good at it, at least Macduff is, he is so good at it, they can leave just enough memory for everyone to know how to do their jobs, to you know have a functional uh, uh, relationship with the Enterprise, even if they don't know the name of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is so specific, and it is so widespread. A thousand people... And this incredibly complex, and we're assuming redundant, computer system on board, too. Um, He is awfully good. So why not do that with their enemy? Why not just show up on the, uh, you know, on the uh, space station and, uh, and take care of it that way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Although, again, their weapons are not any more advanced than the Lycian weapons. And mm-hmm. so maybe that one destroyer and those five or six unmanned drones would have actually been enough to stop them from getting there. Now, I will tell you, honestly, I can forgive the writers for this part. Mm-hmm. And, and not that we're accusing them of anything, but when you say, well, no, that's just no, the writers, no. that's just the way the writers want it or yeah. wrote it. Um, I would say it depends on what a society fixates on. I mean, what they consider to be important. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we don't know. I mean, we know the Lycian War has been going on for quite a while, but we don't know how militaristic they were before this. Before the, before mm-hmm. the Lycians and the Cetarians or whatever they're called, the Cetarians, we don't know whether they were fighters before that. I mean, we live in a world today that sure knows a lot about, you know, how to blow things up and how to keep people from doing stuff based on how many tanks we have and how many planes we have and how many things we have that we can drop on other people, you know, to destroy right, them. Right, right. Uh, yeah. we, we certainly, we, we've come to the point now where there are earthquakes in a portion of the U.S. because we're, 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 we're fracking things up. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're trying to get oil out of, we're, we're trying to squeeze blood from a turnip. And apparently if you squeeze hard enough, you can get a little more blood out of that turnip. Right, But we haven't figured out how to make solar applicable to everybody. We haven't figured out how to make wind applicable to everybody. I know a lot of people will say, well, you just can't. And I got to say, yeah. well, you figured out how to get oil out of a rock. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, not a rock. I mean, a rock. You have figured out yeah. how to get oil out of places where it certainly looks like there's not oil, but we can't figure out how to do these other things. And so I would say, 
I mean, it's easy. It's easy for me anyway to say that um, McDuff's um, society it just wasn't focused on being killing machines. Mm. And so, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I can sort of write that off. I mean, you're right. It does seem kind of silly. They wouldn't have thought, well, what about two destroyers instead of one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. But, uh, but I mean, maybe that's just not you know the way their society was pitched initially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. But it, it was a question that was brought up, and I, I certainly thought about it, you know, from the first time rewatching this episode, that mm. that is a good trick that McDuff has got. It yeah, it is. It is really good. And, and it is really complex, too. Beam of light shows up, it's green, so you know it's weird, and then all of a sudden, you don't know who you are, you don't know where you are, but you know enough to still do your job. Well. Or at least enough of the job, you know? Yeah. How so, did he actually know as much as he wild. did about the Federation and everything before he got there? Or did the green yeah. beam of light actually knock them out for a while? Do they just not remember being unconscious? Did he suspend yeah. them? I mean, how did that whole thing work? Because he's, did, he's got a Starfleet get, uniform. Yeah. 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 I did get the impression that that his scanner was reading information from their systems. And then he assimilated it just that quickly? See, he's yeah. really good. He's really he good. That's really true. Good. Plus, did yeah. I mention he's got a thing that can make him look like anybody? Right. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. So, um, hey, uh, this is kind of a quick aside, but I, I wondered if you made anything out of uh, his name being Macduff. Um, uh, obviously, the play Macbeth. I, I think you know Macbeth better than I do. But I, I kept trying to determine if there was a good thematic reason mm-hmm. for the character to have that name, and I could not come up with one yeah the sad thing is you're confusing macbeth with hamlet i know ham <laughs> i know hamlet fairly well fairly, oh, okay. fairly well i know almost yeah. nothing about macbeth except uh in the end macbeth gets it um yep what i looked yep. up on wikipedia the source of all knowledge as you say mm-hmm. until they finish memory alpha and please right. your contributions will help with that <laughs> Lord Macduff, Thane of Fife, is a character in William Shakespeare's Macbeth. Macduff plays a pivotal role in the play. He suspects Macbeth of regicide and eventually kills Macbeth in the final act. He can be seen as the avenging hero who helps save Scotland from Macbeth's tyranny in the play, um, which really doesn't seem like the Macduff that we have before us. I mean, he just seems like a bad guy yeah. here as yeah. opposed to an avenging angel. Now, maybe he would see himself that way, but that's his play, not ours. So, you know. And no, I couldn't figure out any reason for that. Yeah, no, Macduff is the uh, the moral center of Macbeth. Macbeth definitely the uh, the bad guy. Interesting note, though, he is mm-hmm. not the crime dog. No, that's McGruff. That would be McGruff. Exactly. Right. That's, yeah. that's a different. Good thing, thing he didn't take that name. Yeah. <laughs> that would have so, been weird and hard to explain. Right. So let's talk thematically a little bit about what's going on here. Um, I, I think there are a lot of other Star Trek episodes that I thought of. We already talked about yesterday's Enterprise. One that I kind of thought about with this episode was uh, The Naked Now, which mm-hmm. obviously is a reference back to The Naked Time. But, but here's why. So uh, the thing that's fun here in this episode is, is the space that we're exploring in the psychology of what makes you you. Mm-hmm. And part of it being determined by environment, uh, by occupation, by other people and your relationship to those other people, part of it by genetics. Um, but what happens to these characters when they're stripped from those elements is really interesting to watch. So just like in The Naked Now or The Naked Time before it, you just sort of say, well, everybody's space drunk. 
Mm-hmm. So they're acting not like themselves, but there's this piece of themselves in that, sort of their inner selves coming out. So, um, you know, Picard, you have a Picard here who is diplomatic, but at least at the beginning, he doesn't have a really strong drive for command. He doesn't really question it when Worf just says, well, I, I've got the sash. <laughs> you know, mm. Picard's like, oh, okay, well, we'll just keep working. We'll just keep doing a thing here. And I, I'm not really going to argue the the point of who's in command or not. I'm not going to assume that I have command. Um, and And all of this shows that just sort of what is essential about these characters in the end is still in place. I think that's the fun part about this. So, all right, uh, Picard doesn't really have that drive, but Worf certainly has a strong drive or at least a desire for command, but he's unfit for the job and he's really easily manipulated by Macduff. So we're showing why at least at this point, Worf is probably not a great choice for a starship captain. Um, Riker is a cool guy who is a lot more mellow when he's not burdened with command responsibilities. As soon as you take that off of him, he's just like, well, we're going to walk around, we're going to check in on people, I'm going to hang with the ladies for a while, and I'm not really going to worked up about anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ro, we have a big change in Ro. She is totally at ease with herself and with the others around her. Um, Deanna's still Deanna, since her senses are in place as far as her uh, empathic abilities. Um, she's just kind of lost, uh, as anyone would be. And Data, like I said before, Data just does whatever he's told. <laughs> so yeah. Data has abilities, but abilities that are completely and utterly stripped of context. So, you know, the flip side to all of this is that each crew member sort of has the luxury of deciding who they are. You know, what things now they get to emphasize as they rebuild their personal histories, because that, that's what they're doing for the bulk of the episode. Uh, if they do remember everything they just went through, and by the end of it, we're to assume that they do, mm-hmm. um, maybe Roe and Riker will choose to not be so abrasive to each other. <laughs> but, you know, but but you have to wonder once those memories come back and and was it then a big part of nurture, say, the horrible things that Roe has been through and the bad decisions that Roe has made that landed her where she ended up, are those the things that make her personality what it is and therefore does not get along well with Riker? You know, at least as we see the beginning of this episode. So I think that that's sort of what we're meant to contemplate is, all right, we're given these characters. We know who they are because we've watched them for more than five seasons worth of TV. But is there something about them that even if you take away everything else that still makes Picard the diplomat the diplomat? that still makes Riker the man of action, the man of action, even out of the context that we know. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer to that. I'm not saying that there's a specific thing to identify, but I think this is the psychological area that that this show is occupying that is is a fun way to kind of tweak the characters. That's why I thought of uh, The Naked Now. Well, I want to stop for a second if I could and do something that's really ridiculously nerdy. Do it. Oh, yeah, I yeah. know we're on a Star yeah. Trek podcast, but yeah, right. I feel like I have to defend Worf a tiny bit. Okay. He is operating with the information that he has. I mean, you say Picard's the diplomat. Worf's not fit for command. 
Uh, Picard was sitting in the chair when they destroyed the destroyer. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how many people. I can't remember if it was in the 20s or in the 50s. I mean, it's not like somebody destroying the Enterprise. Yeah, but it was like 53 people. 53 like people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Picard was in the chair when that happened. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Picard is not just diplomat. He, in fact, let himself be swayed. It was the indecision. It was the arguing. He was mm-hmm. ready to open up. You know, he was ready to open a channel to talk to them. And it was only McDuff uh, standing there countermanding that order, basically. Not countermanding it. Not, not going so far as to tell Worf, hey, don't do that. But arguing uh, that, that, that paused Picard into inaction uh, that led to their being destroyed. Because, you know, just one bit of communication with them and he would have known better. Yeah. No, I, I definitely will, will give him that. I, I, I think that it it's it is played to an extreme where Worf Worf wants command. <laughs> that's that, that's the impression you're given right at the beginning is Worf wants command, but as soon as he has that command, he's back to being Worf, at least like first season Worf, that can't see beyond the end of his phaser. You know, that, well, that that is his answer to how things are done. But again, he's got his orders. What he's been told is they're at war. They have a mission mm-hmm. to go destroy some people. So what they need to do now is, you know, make sure they can defend themselves in case the war finds them. And they need to get weapons ready because they have to go destroy those people like their orders say. I mean, sure, to me, but, they were actually just yeah. different command styles, honestly, or different different sort of styles of operating. Yeah, you want, you want the title? Fine, says Picard. But, you know, I've got this other work that I need to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. And we can worry about... We can worry about who leads later. And honestly, just in saying that, he shows himself as a better leader. And maybe where I'm getting caught is actually your use of the word command versus your use of versus my use of the word leading. Hmm. Because Picard's actually, a, I mean, he is a better leader all the way through this thing, but he's not a commanding presence. Had he been more of a commander, honestly, the Lysians would have lived and this show would have ended 30 minutes earlier because mm-hmm. because he, he, he could have just said to McDuff, no. Hey, apparently I'm captain, so shut up. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He's considering everybody's angle, which is good. That is something we generally speaking like from Picard. This time, unfortunately, it actually led to uh, to loss of innocent life. Well, yeah. yeah, they were on a destroyer, so it's not quite fair to say innocent life, but loss of life that should should not have been sure. lost. Sure. Um, you hit on the Roe Riker thing. Yeah. I actually want to talk about the love interests in this episode, the Riker, Roe, oh. Tro- Troy, Triangle. See, I tried to do a little like like tongue twister, <laughs> and my tongue got twisted is what happened. Yeah. Uh, so Riker and Troy have something that's very sweet, right? Um, Riker and Roe have something that's very spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, no one is exactly who they are during this episode or... Yeah, put it a different way, and I guess this kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, maybe everyone is exactly who they are in this episode with no baggage, with none of that nurture or lack of nurture that came before, right? They don't come to this episode with preconceived notions about anything. Um, each time Roe goes after Riker, I mean, he is seriously minding his own business. I mean, he's not an unwilling participant. I mean, he's up for it, but he's not the instigator, which is actually unusual for Riker. Now, his behavior would seem to fall in line uh, with the rules by which he and Troy have lived for these five seasons. But in the end, Troy is upset with Riker. So I guess what I was wondering is, there were a few things I was wondering. Did we end it the way that we ended it just for the comedy? Or is there anything to be made out of the way the episode ended? Um, 
I also think Roe got really short shrift in this episode. I mean, I, I feel like this was the this is not the group laugh at the end, but this is sort of the standard comedy end to what has been a fairly serious episode to this point. Um, like when she just like blithely walks off and says, oh, you know, it's just a thing. Bye. I mean, you're right. There's actually a lot for her to consider about herself and about the way she is from now on. There's a lot for Deanna to consider about how she actually feels about Riker, if this is really going to rankle her. Or are we just, you know, tying it up in a comedy bow? Because, look, everything that happened, what is it? If these shadows have offended, (laughs) (laughs) we're we're out. Okay, 48 minutes is up. Don't worry about it. Next week, everything's normal. Well, as normal as it gets on Star Trek. I mean, is there anything that happened in their relationships that we should actually not only, you know, question here, but also take forward in future episodes? Or is this a one off? And we're not. Well, I guess we won't know until we see it, will we? (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, uh, those are numerous good questions. And I kind of struggle with that. And I kept rewatching that ending, Mm -hmm. trying to piece together what the statement there really was, or even if there was a statement, because it could have just been, you know what? we've we've hit 43 yeah. minutes yeah we need another minute here and we've got a sort of it may yeah. well have been shows over go home yeah yeah and and we've got to sort of you know let the air out of the room because we, we've had all this tension up until now and we have to have some what seems like some resolution that things are back to normal in the respect that that Roe and Riker are not going to be an item hmm. because she just just get up and walk away. Um, <laughs> you know, she seems I, she seems to be totally fine with this. She she's completely self possessed in that moment. Just like okay, I'll see you later, mm-hmm. and she's gone. And apparently, she's got no ill will between her and Troy. Yeah, well, they, they're they're hanging out having a drink. Right, Riker's the only yeah. one who's on the hook here, which is why I actually feel like. Okay, they're just going for the comedy ending. But it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. they have now introduced this thing that if they wanted to, they could actually really explore it in future episodes. But I think we're actually just going for the comedy thing because the new girl's like, see ya. And the old girl's like, dude, I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> right? <laughs> you come see me in an official capacity if you want to see me at all. Otherwise, we're, we're on a bigger break, I guess. Well, but, you know, just think about it. I, I, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. we we saw Deanna have a memory or have a memory manipulated mm-hmm. of her and Riker in an intimate moment where at least at some point in that intimate moment, which they kind of keep separate from their professional lives, she sort of says like, yeah, we work together. Yeah. Well, okay. Do that one if you want to. But the problem is that guy was so in her head that we don't know how much of that was real and how much of it wasn't. She may never have actually said no. He may have put that memory in her head so that he could overcome her resistance because that's how that's how he um, gratified uh, himself mm-hmm. in that situation. It might be better actually to look at how they performed or how they um, how Riker and Troy acted on Beta Z. Yeah. Hey, nobody's yeah. looking. <laughs> That's right. pretty much it, right? <laughs> hey, we're not on the ship right now. Why aren't we kissing? We should have been kissing this whole time as a matter. Ah, there's your mom. We can't kiss now. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, I apologize. I, I know I. No, no, no. But I mean, you're hitting on what, what has been the pattern that we've established since the very beginning, since season one, which is it's this on again, off again thing. Right. But they're not deeply committed to each other in any sense. 
Deanna has had boyfriends. She has had very short-term boyfriends on the Enterprise. Riker has had very short-term relationships. Well, but apparently... people and on and off the Enterprise. And a longer-term one as well, though, we're given to understand. Was it Carmen who got, you know, sucked up by the crystalline entity the second time we saw Mm -hmm. it? In whatever that episode was called with that woman who, you know, destroyed the crystalline entity? (laughs) I can't remember the name of it, but whatever. I mean, so Silicon Avatar. Silicon Avatar. Thank you. Yeah. And 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 Riker's there, and and you know he's talking about settling down. Now we actually talked about during that segment. We don't know if this is just a line he uses, if this is just a game they play every time they see each other. Mm-hmm. But she is longer term than you know the time he hit on whoever the new ensign was that was here that week and gone the next. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so again, then I have to ask the question. Is there anything that we're supposed to make of what happens in the end? I mean, and I guess, again, look, it sounds like I'm being coy when I say we don't know what's going to happen, but I seriously don't remember. I don't remember what happened. It's been too many years now. I don't remember what happens if if, if Roe and and Riker have any sort of even just sort of softening of their hostilities or if Mm. Troy has any sort of like what's going on moment. I mean, I do remember a weird relationship that she's got coming up. So obviously she's yep. not, you know, 100% team Riker from now right. on. Right. But I mean, is there is there anything that we're supposed – is she questioning anything about their relationship at all? Or is this just, guys, come on. It's 4650 and we really got to get out of this show. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Because the the even unintentional sort of undercurrent that we've had from the beginning is that – there are no rules on the Enterprise about fraternizing mm-hmm. with each other. Right. And there there are long and committed and deep relationships that happen. And then there are short and not so committed relationships that happen. Yes. And, you know, and I, I think that particularly with Troy and Riker, they, they've always sort of skirted this line where there's deep affection. They had a thing once. It's not so bad. If they have a thing now, mm-hmm. but none of that gets in the way of, well, continuing to build the drama of the show, quite frankly, you know, mm. um, if you need to get Riker into a situation where there's another woman in another port or on a holodeck, then so be it. And if you need to get Deanna in a situation where there is a a character who, um, you know, falls in love with her, or she falls in love with him, whatever the case may be. The show will always err on the side of telling that story and, and not digging too deeply into how the Deanna and Riker relationship actually works in a practical sense. So, yeah, I think what we ended up with here is just sort of the comedy ending because we have to wrap it up. Now, what's interesting, though, is that something changed. You know, there is a difference in in their reactions at the end mm-hmm. than if, say, Riker had just come back from Angel One saying, like, well, I, I got us out of that situation. Um, I'm not going to go into details, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but use your imagination. And and Deanna just sort of has to go along with her job. And like, well, that's, you know, that, that sometimes happens because that's why we've got Riker on board, I guess. <laughs> you know? Nice. No, nobody gives the full Riker like Riker. Yeah, right. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, then you have to have uh, have that Riker on board. Um, but it is interesting, you know, Rose sort of lays it on Riker, Riker and, and honestly on herself as well. When she says that Deanna told her, well, you know, in that situation, we might do the things we have always wanted to do. Hmm. 
so you know this kind of goes back to this question of whether or not the the essential part of their personalities is still there and and Roe maybe just had the hops for Riker at some point and Riker being Riker is not going to give up the opportunity of sharing the full Riker okay I, I don't like what just happened in my head okay are we looking at a, 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 a I don't like the term reverse sexism because sexism is sexism it just you know depends on how it mm-hmm. goes is Riker sure. being held responsible for what happened here that, that's certainly the way it feels. It, yeah, it does, yeah. right? Because Troy's yeah. like, you know, hey, you know, Roe, you and me, we're good. It's fine. And Roe turns to Riker and says, as as you just pointed out, um, you know, we do the things that we've always wanted to do. Okay. Again, she was the instigator all the way yeah. through this. She was the aggressor. He went back to his room to look at his stuff, to theoretically lay down in his bed. And there's Roe. Like, by the way, should she have access to his quarters? <laughs> He's second in command or third in command, I guess, in this episode on the, on the ship. Uh, but, he, I mean, she, yeah, she's there, like, reading the book, just hanging out. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it seems like, actually, he's being held responsible. Why? Because he's the man? It can't be because he was, you know, second in command or third in command because all they knew was they had a list of names that said that. He did not know that he was actually XO this whole time, right? Right. Or he should have been anyway. And so, yeah. Huh. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really hate that that just happened. Yeah. It's a a tough scene. Yeah. It really is. Well, it's not. It's supposed to be just a wacky comedy scene, except, you know. Exactly. uh, It's it's you and it's me and it's the show that we do and, uh. (laughs) But it would be very different if Star Trek hadn't already painted this picture of sort of very fluid sexuality on board, or at least very fluid relationships on board. Yes. Sometimes they're a little more intense, but for most of the time, everybody's just sort of like, yeah, you know, whatever happens, happens. Right. Yeah, not this week, though, because we got to get out. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one other kind of element that I thought was interesting here that maybe ties into the, the morals, meanings, messages, that it, it's sort of asking, well, what's the harm if we just follow orders? You know, it it is interesting to see the crew struggle over orders, because I think in any other normal week um, where you don't have, say, uh, maybe an incident where you've got like an insane admiral or maybe an admiral who is being taken over by a space parasite, some some extenuating circumstance, Mm -hmm. you know, is what I'm saying might happen in in another week in another episode. But for the most part, we can rely on the orders coming from Starfleet or the orders coming from Picard to his crew to be well-meaning and justifiable, Mm -hmm. you know? But Picard is in this very interesting situation. He gets orders and or he gives orders, and he's the one in doubt about the orders, and, and rightfully so. And it makes you wonder how many other orders did he or should he doubt um, either in the past or or going forward. You know, he, he says a line, I need to know that what I'm doing is right. Um, and like I said, for the most part, we have to assume that the orders that, that he is getting are good. He has to assume that the orders he is giving are good and they're based on accurate and reliable information. Um, but there is a sort of lingering question here, uh, and, and particularly because all the crew is just as ripped from context as as Picard is and everybody else is, well, even if we're just given orders and even if my job here is to be sort of a cog in the the machine that is the Enterprise, 
how can I really trust it? How do I know that I'm really doing the right and moral thing? You got to be careful about questions like that, though. Why is that? They can lead to insurrection. With everyone's memories restored and Lucian defenses in ruins, time now to see what we can make of Conundrum. If memory serves, this is the part of the episode. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Let's see. Yeah. Yes. More there. shows weekly than you can count. Um, <laughs> time now to figure out the uh, messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and whether or not the whole episode stands the test of time. Oh, it's a pickle. It's a paradox. It's a riddle. It's conundrum. John? <laughs> okay. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, I think it does very nicely. You know, it's also, like I said, it's an episode that uh, reminds me of other episodes. This could have been made during TOS, quite honestly. Mm. Uh, Kirk would have struggled with orders and his moral obligations. Uh, McCoy would have argued about senselessly killing thousands on a space station. And Spock would have tried to logic the logic out mm. of it. I mean, it, you know, you could really see this conversation happening in TOS. Um, there are good thematic callbacks. So, like I said, episodes like Conspiracy, Yesterday's Enterprise, and like I said, The Naked Now. But I think this is done in a better, more compelling way than just doing a remake of The Naked Time. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do a thing where you sort of pick around through the psyche of the characters to figure out what makes them tick outside of just having a job function to do. Um, the only thing I don't like about this episode is how neatly they get into the situation and then how neatly they get out of it. Um, the Saturn, again, you know, he's got the technology to erase memory and computer banks just because he does <laughs> and Dr. Crusher restores memory, and apparently the computers are okay now, too, just because. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I think there are good character moments there. It's kind of a fun riddle to figure out, and and being in the audience knowing more than the crew does to watch them sort of work their way out of the situation that's not not always an effective way to tell a story mm -hmm. um but it, it it's cool for this episode how about you well there's one thing i think there's one way that it works particularly well and it's that we normally have somebody else sitting on the bridge that we don't know right mm -hmm. i mean take this a different way so yeah uh war finds out that he's not captain he is tactical officer and he has to sort of like you know step back into that role Imagine if, like, nameless so-and-so that's, like, standing... So you're facing Worf, right? And there's always that person who you never even see their face standing sort of, mm -hmm. like, to the left of Worf and behind. What if that person had been McDuff? And it's not... Instead, it's not a conspiracy thing. It is a, hey, here's this guy that we seriously literally don't pay attention to. He doesn't even get a speaking line, mostly, because we don't care that he's there, except right. that we need a guy there. Um, the way McDuff works to me is because we regularly have somebody different on the bridge. Yeah. I didn't, I did not, I did not pick up until partway through the first um, act, I guess. Once we realize, okay, there was a ship there and now that ship is gone. And so, okay, this new guy is actually not some guy that we don't know from the enterprise. He's somebody else. At first I was like, this is kind of like, 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer season five, I think it was, when when like in the opening credits, there's this new character that we've never seen before. But then we go into it and we're not introducing this character. This is Buffy's annoying younger sister. Mm-hmm. And Buffy has never had an annoying younger sister, but everybody's treating her like, of course, she's there. She's always there. She's Dawn. But it, then it turns out, of course, it's Joss Whedon and it's, you know, it's supernatural stuff. And it turns out somebody's implanted the memories and all that. Right. And and so like McDuff actually kind of worked for that for me that way as well. It's just like, well, of course, he's there, not because we all remember him, but because none of us remember anything. So, yeah. OK, <laughs> this guy. I seriously, though, thought that he might have been just like an extra officer on the bridge at the time. Yeah, I, I did too. Yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of felt like it's not just them that was that were being tweaked, it's not just the characters that were being tweaked, but it was also us being tweaked as well. Yeah, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, it was also a well paced episode. I thought it was a well acted episode. It was neat to see the actors play sort of variations of the characters that they always play, mm-hmm. and they didn't all get to do that. I mean, Data, as you pointed out, was Data all the way through. Deanna was pretty much Deanna all the way through. Worf got to play sort of a, or, or Michael Dorn, excuse me, got to play sort of a variation of Worf, which was neat to see. Um, Patrick Stewart got to play sort of a variation of Picard up to the point that he finds out he is captain. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, Michelle Forbes got to play a very different Ensign Row uh, than right. she's ever gotten to before. So, I mean, that was kind of neat as well. Uh, overall, I think this was a, a very enjoyable episode, and, uh, and it really gave us a lot to, uh, to think about and talk about as well. Speaking of which, messages, sir, what did you find? So I, I think there's a little bit of it. This is not a heavy-handed, you see, Timmy, or save the whales <laughs> right. episode. Don't eat paint. Uh, right. Um, but there are a few lines that stood out to me. Um, early on, Riker says, we're going to have to depend on each other. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, there's a, a classic Star Trek message right there. Um, and, and more importantly than that, everybody exhibits layers of caution. Now, they do it in their own way. So, like I said, I, I kind of came down hard on Worf before. He is just purely about the tactical. We, we have to get the weapon systems back online. We have to do that. So he's being cautious in his way. But then when the, the pieces are coming together about who they are and what their orders might be and where they are, they're all still sort of trying to take this with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And and good on them for doing that. So they're they're working together, they're relying on each other, and um, they're not just sort of blindly following orders. Uh, so to put it another way, uh, maybe trust but verify. That's what Deanna recommends. Uh, she says that to Picard in in so many words, um, and Picard gets it. You know, P- Picard at least on that first encounter, he's like, well, no, let's not put up our shields, you know, and mm-hmm. see see how this goes. Um, now, there was a, a line that came later when uh, Macduff is making this argument about um, whether or not they should destroy the space station. And, and he says something about, you know, should we not do that solely on the basis of our moral discomfort? Um, and these are weasel words that, that Macduff is using to manipulate Picard. Mm-hmm. He's making the argument that by not engaging in this war, to the extent that we kill thousands, we may be saving millions. So it's a difficult ethical position that uh, that they find themselves in. And, and it sort of comes back again at the end when uh, uh, Riker says, well, one photon torpedo could have ended their war. And Picard says it almost did. Mm-hmm. 
but it almost did maybe to the extent then that you uh, could have created this vacuum where the Sitarans could have completely taken over. You know, who knows? Who knows what those outcomes may be? But it was an interesting ethical, moral place to be to ask, you know, okay, well, do we have some obligation if we are here to actually carry out this mission? Even though the mission is under false pretense, they don't know that yet. Um, are we actually doing good, quote unquote, by carrying out this mission that we feel uncomfortable about? Um, that's not necessarily a message, but like I said, it, it is a, an ethical space to sort of play in that I thought was um, uh, was at least given some interesting thought here. Um, how about you? Well, I mean, going a little bit further with that whole uh, part about, you know, mm-hmm. the questioning the or- orders and things like that. I got to figure that we ask people or we ask things of our fighting people um, that we would hope would put them, you know, somewhere on a moral scale between uh, moral discomfort and I would rather shoot myself mm-hmm. than do that to someone else. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, McDuff is a bad guy here. And so we mm-hmm. know Picard's questions are good and we know Picard's questions are righteous. Um, yep. But can you field an army that's <laughs> not, I mean, that's going to, that's going to like, you know, question everything that it does. Or, or maybe what you need is like a general, which Picard pretty much is in this case. Maybe you need a general who is sure that their cause is just, um, mm-hmm. you know, but then you need potato peelers who will pick up a phaser <laughs> without thinking or at least without being paralyzed by their thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you're right. It, it does, it does leave you a sort of an interesting <sighs> conundrum. Oh, sorry. Oh. I didn't even mean to do that. Oh, I apologize. Wait a minute. Seriously, just yeah. the word that came to mind. It does leave you with an interesting moral question. Um, oh, not, okay. you, got, you got a nice slow golf clap from me <laughs> on that. <laughs> not one, though, that I think we answer. Uh, there's also, mm-hmm. um, I wondered what we were saying about intuition in this episode, you know, about going with your gut. I mean, Troy delivers mm-hmm. that message at the very top of the show when she beats Data. Um, but Worf goes with his gut, which, you know, would have led them into battle. A glorious, victorious battle, sure, but, you know, <laughs> battle that they shouldn't have been in. Riker follows his gut into watching movies with Roe uh, and ends up in trouble with Troy, who espoused the go-with-your-gut idea in the first place, right? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the messages in here are great, and some are, well, questionable, but I don't mean, oh, that's a bad message. I'm saying it's like, okay, so was that a message? What are we saying there? And is it okay that you're saying pretty much the exact opposite thing at the end of the episode that you said in the beginning? Or maybe they're not messages at all. Maybe it's just an interesting bit of writing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the intuition thing, somebody actually emailed me and, and we just had this kind of conversation about intuition and, and what that meant. And I, I kind of, my default is that I just sort of go to the scientific answer. I try to go that route first. And, you know, seemingly what we're talking about is a combination of being really good at recognizing patterns. You know, some people are awfully good at that. They have very good memories. They they are very good at recognizing patterns. And they just sort of are good at getting a sense of people by things like tone of voice, body language, etc., and putting those pieces together. But you know, sometimes when you get into an area where intuition is this other thing, like there's you and there's your cognitive abilities, but then intuition is this, this other thing sort of floating out there that, that just sort of magically points you to the right answer. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think that, that that's where maybe at the beginning it was almost like that. It's like, you know, Deanna has this extra sense, but then her 
empathy isn't going to do her any good with data because data's a machine. Data doesn't have emotions, as we keep reminding ourselves constantly, because clearly he has played with no emotions and would <laughs> never, ever tip his hand that we'd have an emotional response to anything. But um, yeah, but I, I agree. It's this rumination on the idea of intuition. You know, what what are people going to do? stripped of context mm -hmm. and and like i said the, this question of who they are at their core at their essence when they don't have all these other things to fall back on and it's just sort of interesting to to watch those characters play so i i don't know if i can say that those are necessarily messages and therefore i can't answer if they hold up i think these are sort of big human questions and this episode is a sort of uh, a one of many places that Star Trek lets those play out. Um, but maybe I would say that the the other messages about um, trusting but verifying and uh, depending on each other, the stuff like that certainly holds up. There was another episode that we did recently, and I can't remember which one it was, but I remember saying at the end that one of the things you might have to do is just you know be ready to roll with it. There may be, mm -hmm. I mean, there's certainly, you could say if you wanted to, that there's a theme through here of um, expect the unexpected or be mm -hmm. ready for the unexpected or be ready to roll with it. I mean, because Dana knows he's going to win this chess game. And then Troy does something that he completely does not anticipate. Even with his big positronic brain, he just completely doesn't anticipate it. They yeah. did not expect that tiny little ship that was coming up to them to be any trouble at all, so much so that Picard didn't even put up the shield. Um, certainly they didn't expect their orders to be, you know, complete fabrications, but you kind of, kind of cut them some slack on that because they were mm -hmm. hit with amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you might, you might actually, um, wow. Once again, one of the messengers might either be roll with it or expect the unexpected, which by the way, is one of my <laughs> least favorite phrases that I ever hear anybody say ever. Cause, yeah. cause you can't and trying to, that would be a conundrum. See now, oh, now I've done it man. too much. Now it's too much. Now it's yeah, too far. Yeah. It's, now it's probably time to say that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about the good work that they're doing, as well as the other work that they're doing. <laughs> it's all good work. No, really, it's all good it work uh, at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion. Be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Hey, we'll be back next week with Power Play. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. This concludes another week of Riker and Roe, at the movies. See you next week. Until then, the balcony is closed. And transmission. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.